Pull over. I'm I'm just going the speed limit, which is 70 miles an hour, but I'm good. It's all straight. <laughs> this is how the magic happens. Where's Maria? Where's Maria? Where's Maria now? Hey, have you guys seen Maria? Yo, I am literally behind the wheel of a car. Because that's how we do it here at In The Thick. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and you know, this is a podcast about <laughs> politics, race, and culture. And we record from wherever we are, like right now, going just below the speed limit here in Texas. What's up, Julio? <laughs> I'm Julio Ricardo Varela, and you are literally in Texas in a car. You know, I'm, I'm out here doing reporting. So where are you specifically? Because you are doing reporting for Latino USA. I am driving back from Snyder, Texas, on my way to Abilene, Texas, where I'm going to get on a plane to Austin. The reporting that I'm doing right now is exclusive, uh, reporting for Latino USA. Okay. And it's... It's a follow-up to a story that we um, that we have, uh, which is the story of Estrella, who is the trans, undocumented Mexican woman who was taken from a courtroom um, last year, early last year. Right, I remember, um, yeah. From El Paso. She was getting an order of protection, and it was one of the first times that it became public that ICE was going into courtrooms. Um, and she was taken by people who were in plain clothes, mm-hmm. who were ICE agents, Um, undercover and then put her into an unmarked car and then um, denied that it happened and it was because of the judge who remembered that uh, that there are cameras in the courtroom it turned out that it was um, true that in fact ICE and Border Patrol um, on a special unit um, had agents in a courtroom taking a woman a trans woman who is getting an order of protection Um, so that that's who I just visited wow is this new reporting that you're doing for Latino oh, USA? Yeah. Like, what can you reveal? Do you want to reveal anything or not? The case of Estrella is being watched pretty closely by a mm-hmm. lot of trans organizations on a national scale and yeah. uh, and many journalists. We are lucky that um, myself and Latino USA have an exclusive um, on her story um, yeah. and to continue to tell her story. The update is that she is going to be going before a parole um, board on July 20th. Assuming she goes before the parole board and she is granted parole uh, from the criminal conviction for fraud, she would probably be apprehended by ICE almost immediately. And then the question becomes, wow. will she be immediately deported um, on an overnight flight into Mexico? What I can report is that Estrella herself is very optimistic. And, oh, um, really? And she told me she loves this country. She wants to prove um, that it can be done, as she said. I want to prove que si se puede, that someone like me can um, transform their life, and um, and I owe it to this country. You're also doing another story in Texas. So what else are you doing? So um, Maggie Freeling, my producer from Latino USA, and I are doing an investigation into um, some of the uh, claims about being women being sexually assaulted in immigrant detention camps um, and centers. So this is a story that I first reported um, for my front line on PBS in 2011. We're going back into um, to Texas to do some more reporting and hear from from some more women who claim that they have been um, sexually assaulted while being held in immigrant detention camps. Um, and this was before the children and the family separations yeah, yeah. and families um, being torn apart. Um, so if you can imagine that that was happening before this ramp up uh, to hold hundreds of um, 
women, children, um, teenagers. So it raises a lot of concern that you have women who have claimed that they have been sexually assaulted. So that's another story that um, Maggie Freeling and I are working on for Latino USA. So busy, busy. I'm really glad that you're out there on the ground. And in the meantime, it's uh, Maria. Do you want to listen to our, our latest in the thick political roundtable discussion? Boy, this is going to be hot. I can't <laughs> wait to hear it. Let's listen. He's using the 30 words in his vocabulary to stoke a lot of hatred and send out signals. And Russia is helping. Uno, Joining us from Washington, D.C. is Wajahat Ali, TV host and contributor to the New York Times. What's up, Waj? Welcome, comrades. This is Comrade <laughs> Wajahat Ali, speaking from the future capital of Russia in D.C. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and joining us from our Harlem studio is Raquel Cepeda, author and filmmaker. Welcome back, Raquel. Hola, comrades. All right, guys. We have to talk about the Monday press conference, of course, what everyone's talking about, President Trump and President Vladimir Putin of Russia in Helsinki, Finland, at their joint press conference, and I couldn't stop watching it. During this conference, Trump declared that there was zero collusion during the 2016 election. The probe is a disaster for our country. It's kept us separated. There was no collusion at all. And despite evidence and indictments against Russians for election interference, Putin denied all of this. That the Russian state has never interfered and is not going to interfere into internal American affairs, including the election process. The aftermath of this summit or meeting or get together, whatever you want to call it, has been bipartisan condemnation of the entire presser and of Trump. Then on Tuesday, Trump backtracked, saying he, quote unquote, misspoke at the press conference, and that he now supports the official U.S. stance on Russian meddling in the U.S. election. What is going on? What's the big deal? I said the word would instead of wouldn't. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. Sort of a double negative. So you can put that in, and I think that probably clarifies things pretty good. And before this news broke about Trump's flip-flop, just hours after Monday's press conference in Finland, the New York Times reported that the Department of Justice charged a Russian national, her name Maria Butina, for influencing U.S. politics through the NRA and religious organizations. She tried to influence the Republican Party and attempted twice to arrange a meeting between Putin and Trump during the 2016 election. This follows last week's news that 12 Russian intelligence officers were indicted of hacking the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton presidential campaign. And then, like, as if we need more, this all comes in the midst of one of the most divisive NATO summits pretty much ever. NATO was created in the Cold War as an intergovernmental alliance that the U.S. has relied on for military interventions from Kosovo in 1999 to Libya in 2011. But some say it upholds democracy. And at the NATO summit, Trump called out allies for not spending enough money on defense. He insulted Germany and arrived late to the Russian aggression meeting and even skipped some meetings. And it's completely well known that Putin has long tried to divide NATO. So, Waj, given all this wave of news, what's your take on this press conference with Trump and Putin? 
It was one of the most uh, shameful press conferences given by a president uh, that I've seen. It was a press conference between Putin and his orange poodle to the left. And I know that might sound uh, very uncouth and, and blunt, but Trump's parroting of Vladimir Putin's policy, his parroting of hurting the EU, hurting NATO, that's what Russia wants, that's what uh, Trump wants. His parroting of, well, he denied engaging in an act of cyber warfare uh, against America. That's what it was, an act of cyber warfare in the Russia meddling. And also, let's not uh, forget that Robert Mueller just last week issued new indictments against naming, excuse me, the 12 Russians who actually helped interfere in our elections. And he did not ask for uh, to extradite them. He did not attack Putin or Russia at a global stage. Instead, he attacked law enforcement, Peter Strzok, the FBI, and pivoted to, again, Hillary Clinton. And he <laughs> took Putin at his word saying, well, it was a very strong denial. <laughs> and so if you witness these, these repeated comments, and you take into account there's five guilty pleas, including Michael Flynn, his NSA, uh, head of his NSA, and also Paul Manafort, his campaign manager, is in jail right now, Julian Raquel, also for conspiracy uh, indictment and charges and money laundering. And that there's nearly three dozen indictments brought by Mueller in only 14 months of this investigation. Think about this. Maybe the president of the United States of America is compromised by an anti-Western, anti-democratic, anti-American authoritarian leader, Vladimir Putin. And my evidence for all of you is the press <laughs> conference that happened this week in Helsinki. Exactly. I mean, I agree with everything uh, that my comrade Waj said, except that I wouldn't go as far as to diss left-leaning poodles. <laughs> we need somebody to push us to the left in these times. I don't know if you guys peeped out the body language. You know, like Putin was in there. He was late. He was 30 minutes late just to show him. Hour late. Like he came in there like with his swagger. He's man spreading and shit. Like, look, I'm laying mines out and it's bigger. He's just like leaning back. He's looking at him like you fucking bore me, bitch. You know, all this that. Exactly He's giving right. him that look. Exactly right. And then in contrast, Trump is like, you know, stewing in his nasty sweat. He's like all like, you know, tense. He's slouching forward. His fingers are tiny little fingers like pressing against each other. I mean, you can see that there was something going on and that he was actually very scared and was looking at him for like a hint. Like, did I do well? Did I bully Theresa May enough? Did I leave her? Because right now she's dealing while this is going on in Helsinki. Theresa May is dealing with parliament. He left the EU in shambles. He like just divided and conquered. He's basically playing bad cop to Putin's good cop. And he said the EO is a foe. And actually, you know, just right before the summit, we forgot that he said that the EU, the European Union, which includes our allies, both in national security and trade, is our foe. Yes. And people also forget, Julio, one thing I'll say is yeah. that Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, told Trump about this uh, upcoming indictment a few days before he left right. on his trip and throughout this entire week. And he ends the press conference also. He's been saying, what? Witch hunt. Right. But this is being adopted because even even Putin said that it's a witch hunt. When they asked, I'm not sure who asked. Um, yeah, that that's AP reporter Jonathan Lemire who asked that question. Does the Russian government have any compromising material on President Trump or his family? And what did Putin do? He went, well, no, I assure you, no. You know, like basically, but he said it in a way where it's just like he basically made Trump his capo. Yep. OK, All right, I'm going to stop for a second because I do not get this investigation, this whole influencing of the election. I don't even know what the hell that means. 
right? I think we're obsessed with this. And I think in the end, Trump is winning because we are now spending all this time making Russia jokes. There's a hypocrisy in the United States, given its examples of, quote unquote, influencing elections. And I can go the list of Latin American elections. Why are we so obsessed with this? I tell you why. The U.S. has really terrible karma and I feel like we're paying for it. Um, we have been meddling. I mean, for eons, you know, I'm there with you, Julio. But if we don't learn from our mistakes and, you know, we're allowing cyber attacks, we're basically helping. We're colluding with Russia to, like, influence elections. What's going to happen in the midterms? It's very, very serious. If we don't address the collusion and everything else, the hacking, everything else, we're going to be in a, in a terrible position come this midterm. Okay. So I think that's basically what we need to, why we need to stay obsessed, even though I understand what you're saying. It's in the weeds. At least you feel me. You, at least you feel me, right? You, know, you feel me. Base, you can understand. I understand. You can understand. I understand okay, most of you. what you're that's saying, but you have to be yeah. a little bit, you have to see the forest for the trees. And while his base is like, what, Ma? I don't really care about this. Um, it's not really about that. It's about the bigger picture, which is it's, it's extremely, extremely dangerous, this whole hacking business. Julio, yeah, uh, I, I have called them out on this on this uh, program many yeah, times. Yeah, call and, me out again. I don't care. Call me and, out. And it I believe Julio will eat some kosher crow uh, with some <laughs> salsa uh, at the end of all this uh, that will be prepared by me and Maria for him. Hey, I want to get down with that. I believe that for the last two, three years, you know, like many Americans, I've been following this. I, I read the dossier that was uh, compiled by Christopher Steele. I've been reading the books. I believe mm -hmm. this is the story. And I believe that this Russian interference not only tilted the election along with other factors, but you has compromised the president of the United States, whom, as we have listed, uh, will burn it all down. Our trade alliance, our national security, uh, our cybersecurity, uh, our allies in Europe, whatever integrity is left with the law enforcement. And I know our communities in particular are yes. a skeptical of law enforcement, but still we have the DOJ, the press. He will bring it all down. We're talking about American democracy, American values, American institutions. Yes, it's flawed, but still it's what we have and we can make it better. He's going to bring it all down for a hostile, anti-liberal, anti-Western anti-American authoritarian leader that is not a friend to freedom, that is not a friend to minorities, that is not a friend to religious freedom, that is not a friend to press freedom. And the fact that you have the president and perhaps even some other Republicans who are compromised because people forget that Russia actually hacked not only the DNC, mm -hmm. but also the RNC. And they weaponized emails and information by only deliberately releasing the DNC emails. People forget they have also hacked the RNC emails. They just chose not to release them. Yeah. And I'm sure they were way more salacious. <laughs> the House Republicans have refused to cooperate with the Mueller investigation. And in light of all these indictments and convictions, what have they done? They have attacked the FBI and DOJ that have not in any way, shape or form tried to actually help in a bipartisan fashion get to the bottom of it. And the final thing I'll say is Mike Pompeo, his secretary of state, formerly his NSA, John Bolton, hmm. even Jim Mattis. These are hawks on Russia. The administration is saying, listen, Russia attacked us, but they've said that we need executive order to actually implement a countermeasure. And there has been no countermeasure. And so with the upcoming elections, Julio, in 2018 and 2020, mm -hmm. the green light, essentially, that Trump is giving to Putin is hack again. I'll add one last thing. I have to add this thing. I, it's, Go for it. It's burning. It's burning in my brain. 
his language, right, yeah. in Europe. What he's doing is signaling a closing of borders internationally. What he's doing is trying to change the way people interact around the world. What he's trying to do is signal by saying that Europe, the EU is our foes. In other words, open borders are our foe. In other words, you know, he's basically like stoking the flames of the right. And I don't know if you guys have been following what's going on all over the world, but I mean, I have. in Italy, some guy just opened fire on, on, in the name of Trump and just shot into what he perceived, who he perceived, the crowd that he perceived to be made up of immigrants. What's happening here because of the U.S. and because of Trump, he's using the 30 words in his vocabulary to stoke a lot of hatred and send out signals. And Russia is helping. Hey, welcome back to In The Thick. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela, and I'm joined by Wajahad Ali and Raquel Cepeda. Let's get back to the conversation. We're making the assumption the American people are stupid and they're easily influenceable. They are instantly influenceable, not stupid, but easily. Those beliefs have always been there. Mm -hmm. So you could take all the Russian influence you want. I don't believe it. I don't believe Russia needed to influence the American populace to say, like, we're going to vote for Donald Trump. But we want to talk about another threat to U.S. democracy that, at least in the eyes of progressives, uh, the nomination of President Trump, Judge Brett Kavanaugh to replace Justice Kennedy in the Supreme Court. Mm. And we had a Tuesday conversation last week for In the Thick where we discussed what a Trump nominee could mean for reproductive rights in this country, especially for women of color. So if you haven't listened to that, please go listen to that because it was a deep conversation. I do want to dig in a little bit into who Kavanaugh is, what his appointment could mean if it goes through for civil rights in this country. And I want to quote this from Just Security. And there's a quote that says, it is entirely reasonable to expect that in the next few years, Roe v. Wade will be overturned or at least neutered as the court's right wing majority approves increasingly draconian restrictions on a woman's right to choose an abortion. But the consequences of Kavanaugh's appointment will reach much further. Kavanaugh's writings and judicial record make clear his hostility to a range of economic and environmental regulations to unions and to workplace safety rules. So what does Judge Kavanaugh's nomination mean for the future of constitutional law and democracy in the United States? Well, it's all laid out for you right there in Handmaid's Tale. Mm. I mean, we know we were making jokes when he was when he was running for president. But our worst fears are coming true. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that the Dems, you know, get a backbone and fight this tooth and nail the way that the Republicans did uh, when Obama appointed Merrick Garland. I mean, you know, we this is terrible news, obviously. It's obvious it's terrible for women, especially women of color who don't have access to um, the same kinds of, you know, resources that other groups do, that um, Stephen Miller and Trump's favorite white women that have money, their groups do. So this is going to be very, very bad for us. Yeah. A lot of me is blocking it out. And I feel like I just feel like something's going to happen that it won't that he won't do it because there will be, as Steve Bannon calls it, the hashtag sec second civil war. What else is there to say except that this is going to be a catastrophe? But by then, maybe we won't even be here because he's trying to make, you know, he's trying to criminalize and, 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 and push all the brown people out of the uh, out of the United States. Or according to Waj, we're all Russians in like two or three years. Yeah. It's time for us to start taking Trump and his appointees literally and yes. seriously. Yes. And women and people of color and Muslims in America have been doing that. And we've been doing that on this podcast for the past two years. And everyone believes that it won't be that bad. It'll get better. 
And I keep asking them and myself, why do you assume this? And why are you surprised? He said he'd promise a wall. He said he'd do a Muslim ban. Uh, they said they would be have a zero tolerance at the border, and now they're separating kids. Mm-hmm. They said they want to overturn Roe versus Wade. They said they want to attack unions and workers. They said they want deregulation. They said they want to dismantle the EPA, and we had Scott Pruitt. And when you have Kavanaugh, first and foremost, let us always remind the listeners that Merrick Garland was a legitimate pick. And President Obama, who won the popular vote, had every right given to him by the Constitution to actually install Merrick Garland and Mitch McConnell. Yes, Mitch McConnell, the villain of the story. That's like the hidden villain used and abused his powers to delay Merrick Garland's nomination. He didn't even get a hearing. And that's why we got Gorsuch and Kennedy retired. And Kavanaugh used to work with Kennedy and Kavanaugh actually uh, sided with the dissent in the famous Roe versus Wade case that was actually decided by Kennedy. Kennedy was a swing vote. Rehnquist gave the dissent. Kavanaugh goes with Rehnquist. So they will overturn Roe versus Wade, or as Raquel said, what they'll do as a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the base is say, we didn't overturn it, but they will gut it so that it will be rendered completely useless. And then they will deprive women of their rights. What will happen? You will have civil discord. Uh, and yeah. you will have exactly what Russia and Putin and ISIS and Al-Qaeda want, mm-hmm. which is the following. They want America to tear each other apart along two major divides, racial divides and religious divides. America will weaken from within and you will have minority rule over the majority. So Handmaid's Tale in like a year, maybe two. Second Civil War, something. Stay well, you know what? Beyond. His hatred for net neutrality may speed things up. Because I think I actually I think it's very I think it's tied in because, you know, you have people that don't you know, there are people that don't believe what's happening at the border. They think these are child actors. Yeah. So you were saying before that Americans are not that stupid. But I mean, God damn. So Kavanaugh is he hates it. He hates it. Mm -hmm. He thinks that it infringes on the First Amendment rights of AT&T and other providers of Internet service. But what that's going to do once, you know. They can charge us with whatever they want for data, et cetera. It's going to make the Internet inaccessible to actually Trump's base, mostly. Yeah. And what happens when you and people like Fox and, you know, and, and the man control the information that you're getting? What happens is you have people in larger communities and you have them growing and growing, not believing the shit that's going on in this country. Mm. Here's another concern about the, the Kavanaugh thing. The question whether he believes whether or not a president can be criminally prosecuted. And so there's a report in Slate, and I'm quoting uh, this article from Slate, and it says, We now find ourselves in a problematic and historically unprecedented situation. A president who is a subject of a criminal investigation has nominated a judge who could cast the deciding vote on pivotal issues in that investigation. Mm -hmm. And the president reportedly selected the nominee— based, at least in part, upon a review of his opinions suggesting how he would come down on disputes in such an investigation. Right. So coming back to Russia, what do you think, Raquel? What do you think this means for the Mueller investigation? Well, it doesn't bode well for Mueller because even though he presented 11 grounds for Bill Clinton's impeachment, in 2009 he fell back on that. And he said that it didn't, doesn't serve the public's interest to remove a sitting president. And Trump can do a lot more damage during his time. I think that Rod Rosenstein knows he's on his way out. I think that they're planning for it. 
this is not going to bode well if something if Mueller doesn't make a break very, very, very soon. Oh, and Raquel, I mean, you're not just assuming that uh, it's all on the record that uh, House Republicans have already brought up uh, and they actually have it ready in hand, a bill for the impeachment of Rod Rosenstein. Oh. And this was after the uh, indictments. And so you have to ask yourself when Ron Rosenstein gives a press conference where he essentially says, yep, Russia interfered, engaged in cyber warfare. These are the names. This is what's happening. It actually happened. They wanted to tilt the election. Now, whether or not they were successful, we don't know. And you also know that there's more stuff cooking because, mm. you know, more stuff's cooking and, you know, Michael Cohen's going to flip. And Michael Cohen was the right hand man of um, Donald Trump. You have to ask yourself, why are House Republicans, especially Republican Party, that you guys remember this? We're the National Security Party. America first, patriots. Wasn't that the Republicans that we grew up with? They're the ones attacking Rod Rosenstein, who's a Republican, James Comey, who's a Republican, Robert Mueller, who's a Republican, and Peter Strzok, uh, the FBI agent who was removed by Mueller uh, from the the Trump-Russia investigation because of a text. Mm -hmm. What did he say? That most FBI agents are law and order, Mm -hmm. conservative, and lean Republican. Republican. And so... They will burn it all down. The root cause of this, and I know people might not like hearing this, is white supremacy and white nationalism. Yeah, you're right. White people are not taking this seriously. And I'm so glad that Raquel brought the transatlantic part to this. Pay attention to what's happening in France, in Netherlands, in Poland, in Hungary, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. even in Switzerland, in the, with Brexit, uh, in Great Britain, the Golden Dawn Party, in Greece, and on and on and on. You're witnessing the rise of white nationalist parties populist parties if given a choice between renting a room to a person of color or a woman or burning down the house they're going to burn down the entire neighborhood i have a question for you too i've admittedly not been like watching the beat every night and jake tapper every single afternoon etc as of late as i'm in pre-production on a film but i wonder why people are not talking about this white supremacy issue they, anytime something comes out, some new poll comes out, especially when it comes to like I've been reading a lot of polls, you know, a lot of studies rather about, you mm-hmm. know, white supremacy playing a major role. It wasn't only poor white working class people who voted for Trump. A lot of this was about preserving the white race, about white genocide, perceived white genocide, et cetera. But then the conversation just rolls back to economics. Have you either you of you why? have either of you like yes. peeped that? Yeah, of yeah, course. I've, here's my take on it. White supremacy is everywhere. Huh. The media is so damn white and so damn male that they're so uncomfortable talking about it. There you go. Because it, it, it's a total threat. It's a total threat to them. And Donald Trump, what did he say in Europe just last, you know, the last couple of days? What did he say? He repeated a white nationalist statement. Unchecked immigration is ruining your country. Yes. Uh, and ruining your culture. What? He said ruining, it's your, ruining culture. your culture. Yes. What does that mean? Brown and black people. Yes, I, I Muslims. Heard that. And we've also been covering the very real human rights toll of the Trump administration's immigration policies from zero tolerance, right, to the targeting of undocumented activists and journalists. And there's a movement growing to push back against these very policies. And actually, the movement's been around in organizer circles for years. It's finally starting to come to fruition, I think, on a national level. And that's the Abolish ICE movement. Abolish ICE! Abolish ICE! So ICE, also known as Immigration and Customs Enforcement, It was set up in 2003 in response to the 9-11 attacks. And in addition to the grassroots Abolish ICE movement, which has roots with organizers, immigrant rights organizers, and 
is coming from a pretty left part of the Democratic Party. You have these 19 ICE agents who sent a letter to Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen asking to create their own division because of the agency's controversial detention and deportation policies. And in that letter, they said that this has obstructed their investigations into national security threat. Then we all remember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who won the primary against Joe Crowley a couple of weeks ago. She was one of the first candidates to actually specifically mention Abolish ICE as a campaign platform. And a couple of weeks later, like just happened on Thursday, three Democratic lawmakers, uh, representatives... Mark Pocan of Wisconsin. Now we're going after people with a traffic violation uh, at a church or at a workplace. That doesn't make any sense. So the president's using his own police force. Pramila Jayapal of Washington. The enforcement functions of immigration law still need to continue to exist. But I think the idea that we have to relook at ICE and actually, you know, eliminate the agency as it stands, not necessarily all of the functions. And Adriano Espaillat of New York. The legislation says we will do away with it by the end of the year. But in the meantime, we will establish a commission that then will put forward uh, some recommendations as to which agency should replace Mm -hmm. ICE. They filed legislation to abolish ICE. Now, obviously, we all know the Republicans control the House, and there's even a group of Republicans who introduced a resolution in support of ICE. But it just shows how more and more mainstream Democrats are latching on to the movement. I want to share this quote from the director of Migration Policy Institute at NYU School of Law. His name is Musafar Chisti. And he told The Atlantic, and I'm quoting, in the absence of having any sort of thoughtful reasoned policies on what enforcement we should have, people have focused their anger on ICE as if ICE disappeared from the face of this earth, all of our problems would be solved. And then Elaine Gottfried also reported in The Atlantic, and I'm quoting, The advocates and lawmakers calling to abolish ICE have framed the issue as a moral one. The agency's widespread use of deportations for undocumented immigrants without criminal records is inhumane and detracts from its more important function of investigating drug smuggling and human rights abuses. All right. So, Raquel, abolish ICE. Is it just a hashtag? Do you feel like it has a movement going on? Is it going to combat Trump's immigration, zero tolerance policies? Like, what's your take on that? I mean, I I read in The Atlantic that it's actually Customs and Border Protection, not ICE, that's responsible for implementing his his white supremacist administration, zero tolerance policy. So, but I know that ICE is, you know, they're the enforcers, if you will. Well, I would love to see the abolish, you know, abolishment of ICE. I don't I don't I don't see its purpose other than to terrorize people. Just um, over the weekend, I believe uh, a woman was in a, in a bus going from Bay Ridge, a Muslim woman from Bay Ridge to Staten Island. And um, somebody was telling her just because she blocked the door with her baby, you know, um, ICE is going to come and get you. Think you have rights that you don't have. People are using ICE as a tool to terrorize their fellow Americans. And, te- and ICE is also terrorizing people themselves. So I think. I think that, you know, I would like to see it completely deconstructed. But, you know, Senator Tammy Duckworth uh, made a, a good point when she said, you know, to abolish ICE now, we will still have the same. And it's my words, White House occupier, she said, president mm. and our words and his failed policies. So I don't I'm not really sure what abolishing ICE mm. right this second will, will do. But I do think that we need to push on um, reexamining it 
Because anytime, like, for example, recently Kamala Harris suggested a deconstruction and reexamining of it, and Mike Pence got his panties in a bunch, started, to, you know, to, uh, 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 clapping back. <laughs> and then the White House, the White House's official Twitter account clapped back at her and said that she supported, um, quote, supporting the animals of MS-13. Right. That's what they said she was doing by doing that. So. Obviously, you know, you're triggering them by that. So there's something to it. So we need to push. But completely eradicating ICE would mean that, you know, human trafficking will will be something that, you know, continues to happen without anybody, you know, watching or, or trying to you know stop that or illegal drugs, whatever. We do need immigration policy. We do need a form of immigration reform. But what's happening now is not that. What's happening yeah. now is very reminiscent of the Trujillo era in the Dominican Republic with his. Oh man, you just him. went Trujillo era. Wow. wow. No, it's oh, it's, cool. it's, it's very it's it's when you when you talk to the elders about what they went yeah. through and which I do often during the time of Trujillo's reign, Sim, you know his goons, his goons were called Sim. S E M, and you yep. know, and and I hear a lot of the same kind of human rights abuses. They're torturing. I'm hearing a lot of stories of what's going on on the border now. For the midterm elections, I think that we have to instead of getting into the weeds and and and, and talking about you know the wonk behind abolishing ICE, you have to continue to talk about experiential experiences. You have to put a human face. You have to talk about the children being separated, mm-hmm. the kids that are still um, uh, and have not been reunited with their parents, the parents that have been since deported. You have to continue to show a human face so that, mm-hmm. you know, you win the hearts and minds of Americans. I believe that, you know, tempered radicalism uh, is essentially what ends up moving the needle. And so the Abolish ICE movement, for all the reasons Raquel mentioned, might not be entirely successful, but what it does do is put a magnifying glass on what many communities now consider uh, uh, a terror group, right, that is just assaulting them on a daily basis. And it is tied to a Trump administration that is separating babies and kids from their parents at the border. And so always anchoring it in the human narrative uh, and always anchoring it into the the suffering of individuals who are seeking asylum and always anchoring it into the narrative of immigrants and how millions of Americans are immigrants, I think is ultimately what will move Democrats and progressives to come up with a humane immigration policy, which also balances uh, justice and national security. And I think the Abolish ICE movement perhaps will not be successful, but it can lead to, especially in this day and age, especially with the cruelty of the Trump administration at the border separation policy, to an audit ICE movement, Whoa. maybe a hashtag audit ICE. And you can get perhaps a lot of Democrats, the majority of American people, and maybe even some Republicans, and you have to just play this game, I hate saying this, in a strategic manner to actually influence policy that can help individuals and help this country restore its moral balance. All right, guys, so let's move on to our final segment. It's called La Ultima y Nos Vamos, which is the last one before you go or last call. So here's the question, right? No secret, the rise of Trump as a candidate, we've seen a huge uptick in hate crimes. Recently in Chicago, in Illinois, in Cook County, we had a man insulting a woman for her name was Mia Irizarry for wearing a Puerto Rican flag T-shirt. Can you please step away from me, sir? Can you please step away from me? You're not going to change us. You know that? I'm not trying to change anyone. I'm just trying to come here for a birthday party. You're not going to change the United States of America. Okay. Okay. You should not be wearing that in the United States of America. Are you a citizen? 
Yes, I am a Are solicitor. You a nice Can you please get away from me? Then you should not be Can you please get away from me? Then in Los Angeles, a 91-year-old Mexican man was beaten by a woman with a brick, and she told him to go back to his country. And then we got the CEO of Papa John's, John Schnatner, was caught saying racial slurs in a phone call. What do you guys think we can do about this spread of hate as a POC community? Is public shaming enough to end this type of hate? Waj? Public shaming is never enough uh, to end this type of hate. Um, What it does, though, is air the dirty laundry and the ugliness and and expose uh, the racism that uh, many of our communities experience on a daily basis, but many of our allies might take for granted or not know about or not take seriously. The second step then is humanizing human beings because we're human beings, but the way the world works is through images and language such as MS-13, terrorism, infestation, invasion, rapists and criminals, our entire beings are reduced uh, to violent stereotypes that are not worthy of dignity. So we have to emerge as the protagonist of our narratives and talk about the, the hopes and joys and challenges of our communities through stories. And we need media platforms uh, and messengers. And then we also need allies. And so we need allies specifically in white communities who uh, hopefully are moved emotionally and realize this is wrong morally and ethically. And then we need them to carry our water for once and do a little bit of the labor and hard work. And the way you pitch it is this is how you really make America great is it's all of us in it together. And isn't it wrong that a person just because of their skin color or name or ethnicity is being bashed in the face with a brick and we all depend on one another. So it takes a multi-pronged effort. Raquel, what do you think? You know, because I'm not a pacifist and I'm not, you know, I don't always believe in, you know, kumbayaing. I think that we have to have more very direct and frank conversations about race with one another and not be afraid to to misspeak in order for us to arrive at a place where we can see each other as allies. Also, um, you know, I feel like sometimes we should put our bodies on the line mm. as allies. If, you know, what really hurt me the most when I was watching this woman in a, in a New York City bus going from... Um, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn to Staten Island, when she was being berated by this perceived, you know, white lady about being Muslim and having a kid and wearing hijab and all this other stuff and whatever nonsense she was talking about was that people were smiling like it was really funny and cool. Um, And that was just really a a really low moment. Uh, I like to Mm. see us be more proactive. Sharing stories is great. And and all of that. But, you know, we got to put our bodies ourselves on the line when we see something wrong. We got to do something about it. Raquel Cepeda, author and filmmaker, and Wajahad Ali, contributor to the New York Times. Thanks so much for joining me on In the Thick. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me, comrade. Thank you, comrades. (laughs) And remember, guys, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. It really helps us get new listeners. Also on social media, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell all your friends that you're hanging out with on the beach this week. In The Thick is produced by Juan Pablo Garnum, Stephanie LeBeau, and Nicole Rothwell. Our intern is Shayla Cologne. Our theme music is Comencemos by Jungle Fire. And the music you heard is courtesy of Steph LeBeau, Nacional, Kept, and ZZK Records. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Nos vemos.
am here. I hear a little bit of crackling, like some static. It's Russia. But Putin said he didn't do it, guys. 